Welcome to our Good Friday service. It's good to have each of you here. We're going to begin this evening by singing a couple songs that may be familiar with you. Praise God from all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Bread 
his blood the wine broken and poured out all for love the whole earth trembled and the veil was Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sin. this evening and tonight we remember we remember Lord the sacrifice that you made for us Lord I pray your Holy Spirit will just be uh, just be here Lord in a very strong and powerful way work through the songs the scriptures the words spoken we pray these things in Jesus name Amen it's been a short time since the praises and the hosannas have filled the air. Uh, the time when Jesus had come in, uh, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The hosannas were loud and people were singing just like we were tonight, Jesus Messiah, but they didn't understand 
what was about to happen. Jesus was hailed a king. He was hailed the savior. And those are true. But today, he found himself in the midst of betrayal. Betrayal, it's the pain of a a deep cut that doesn't bleed. Maybe you felt the pain of betrayal. Bleeding would be easier. Betrayal hurts like a, a slow torture. Its depths are slowly revealed. When love and open arms and friendships are repaid in the currency of hate-filled words, piercing lies, character assassination, and a blindsided punch to your face. That pain of betrayal is revealed slowly. And the pain goes deep, and, and it often, you probably have felt this yourself, as it refuses to want to come to the surface. And yet here, during this holy week, on his journey to the cross, Jesus found himself betrayed. He was the first to walk the earth, to kiss the face of betrayal. He absorbed its pain, and it was released in drops of love that poured from the surface of his skin in a garden time of prayer. Interesting that he dropped the sweat of blood in the garden because the world was about to reap the fruit of his blood that would change everything forever. Mackenzie. Take a moment, maybe just close your eyes just for a moment and just allow this moment that Jesus was going through to just wash over you. Can you sense the pain in the midst of the plan? It's possible that the greatest struggle that 
that may have entered into Jesus' heart at this moment was that the betrayal leads to something that we understand, but not in the way that Jesus was about to have revealed to him in his heart. Aloneness. Aloneness. To be alone. There are your thoughts, your doubts, your pains, your hopes, your dreams. There's all these variety of voices when you are alone. Jesus experienced it all. The pain of betrayal was palpable. But knowing that he was about to go this alone, knowing that as he was on that donkey riding into Jerusalem, that it was a lonely path that he was partaking in. This aloneness that he was about to experience was beyond the pale. Jesus already knew the disciples would forsake him, and they would forsake him in, in ways that, that hurt. But, but Jesus would enter into an even, even deeper isolation. He is forsaken by God. Martin Luther wrote these words, God forsaking God. What man can understand this? Earth has rejected him. Heaven seems to have given up on him. And in the depths of utter aloneness, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This abandoning of our Lord Jesus meant two things. The comforts of the Father's love were beyond his reach. And the terrors of the Father's judgment were poured out on him, our Savior. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 41 say these words. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him. And he began to deeply be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. So returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered 
into the hands of sinners. this moment accusation became reality there was accusation in the arrest Jesus found himself under examination truly he was the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world he was tried scrutinized found to be unblemished yet the antagonist must have a reason to crucify so they gave a false testimony about our Lord. An accusation was lodged and more followed and the only one who could have justifiably thrown a stone became the one whose innocence attracted the hurling of lies like a magnet. Mark chapter 14, 55.
then came the suffering. And we read in Scripture where it says that who has believed our message? This is the prophecy, by the way. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a, dry, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed.
mocked him they took off the robe and put his clothes on his own clothes on him then they led him away to crucify him as they were going out they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross they came to a place called Golgotha which means place of the skull There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God.
events of this day came to a close and Jesus breathed his final breath. A tomb was waiting for him. His body was laid inside and the Roman authorities were so determined to be rid of this man, the one named Jesus, that they took a stone and they rolled it in front of the entrance of the grave. Out of concern that the body might be stolen and what gossip would be stirred up if, if that happened. They not only put the stone in front of the tomb, but they also sealed that stone. They sealed it to the tomb so it could not be moved. And then, just in case, they placed Roman guards stationed there to be by that stone. Nothing, they determined, would go in or go out of this tomb ever. The stone was there to stay. Jesus had different plans, of course, and he did not consult the Roman authorities. His purposes and his plans would be fulfilled. Every stone tells a story. Geologists tell us that a combination of heat and pressure created blocks of natural stone, including granite and marble and travertine and limestone and slate. And as the earth's crust began to grow and erode, it pushed minerals up from its core, forming massive rock deposits that you and I call quarries. That, they say, is the story of stone. But if that stone that was rolled in front of the grave could only speak, if that stone could tell us the stories of what happened behind all the stories it would tell. But the final story would not be the stone's story. It would be of the power of Jesus to roll the stone away. It was literal and symbolic. Scripture reveals one facet of the power of Jesus over the stone, which the Romans themselves declared immovable. I will give you a new heart, we are told. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The prophecy given by Ezekiel is revealed today. Every stone has a story. Today you see in front of this communion table that there are stones. And I want to ask that you would pick up one of those stones if you have not gotten one already. And there's a marker there with it. If you would take that, go ahead and just take a moment and stand and grab one of those stones and be seated.
there are markers that are attached to that that basket where the stones are. You can grab them there. Every stone, as I said, has a story. And as you hold that stone in your hand, I want to ask, what is your stone's story? I'm going to ask for you to write a word or a, a name or a thought that may describe something in your life that seems to be immovable. Maybe others in your life have said, this will never change. This will never be able to be anything different than what it is. That thing that seems to be immovable in your heart or maybe has been immovable in your life for days, for years, for decades, write that on your stone. It might be the name of a friend, a family member, It might be the name that your parents gave you. Maybe you feel like everybody's written you off. It might be a word describing a hopeless situation. It might be a word describing trauma that has for too long defined your identity. And once you're done writing that word on your stone, I want you to take a moment with me and we'll pray because the one who moves stones is in our midst. He's just a prayer away. Lord, as we are writing these letters on this stone, we are reminded, God, that nothing is immovable. Nothing is impossible. Nothing, God, is bigger than you. And as big as this word is, as big as this thought is that has been written down, God, you are bigger. So today we place our hands in yours and, and we even walk with you to the tomb. And we write a word on this stone representing our story. Lord, we're asking you to move a stone once again. Do the impossible once again, God. We ask, God, that the thing that has defined us for so long will be trampled underfoot and that you will be high and lifted up. Move the stone, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name.
now if you take that stone once again and bring it back up to the table and place it on this table and as you lay that stone down pick up communion elements for us to take communion together with if you would do that at this point let's stand together lay down your stone and pick up the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's joy for the morning, 
that you have before you, the body and the blood. They reveal to us that your stone story is not finished. The final story was not the stones. It will be the power that rolls it away. And today, as you take of the cup, and you take of the bread. You peel back that top cellophane cover. And as you peel that back and it reveals that little wafer there, that is a symbol of Jesus' body. It was bruised, it was crushed. It was spat upon, it was punctured. But every act was a revelation in him of how great his love is for you. So I ask now that you take this bread and remember the sacrifice that God made for you through his son and give thanks. You peel back that purple cover revealing the juice in the cup. This represents Jesus' blood it was poured out for you. As his body was crushed, as his body was punctured, blood poured from him. And every wound, wound and every stripe, it revealed that his blood was strong enough to cover your sin. Every drop is enough to save you. So today, as you see this and as you drink of it, be thankful and give the Lord your heart and praise of thanks. Let's drink together.
Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last.
Sunday, you are dismissed. <laughs>